Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. We're so glad you've joined us today here at Vows to Keep Radio. Today, we're going to talk about the covenant we have with our spouses and the covenant God that we serve. What an important topic. When I think of covenants, I think of those relationships that you know about that have lasted for very long periods of time. Down the street from our house sits a little ramshackle white house. And for the first few months after we moved in, we would drive by this house and get a kick out of this big smiley face sign that read, have a nice day. And the sign would always make us glance over at the house, and inevitably, if it was above about 40 degrees outside, we would see this elderly couple sitting on the front porch. They would wave, and we would wave back. So one day, they were out front, and we stopped by to talk. We learned that they were in their mid-90s and had been married for over 75 years. I remember my eyes widening at this discovery. My mind started whirling with the implications of them not only living independently at this age, but my heart marveled at the number of years that they had been married and what that surely meant for them and their loved ones. The smiley face sign is now gone, and so are they. But every time I drive past that house, I remember them. I remember their faces. I remember the commitment that they made to each other. The scene still pulls on my heartstrings. In late October 2016, some high school sweethearts who were married in 1942 passed within hours of each other. They had been married almost 75 years. In New Zealand, a couple who had been married 70 years died just two hours apart. And earlier in the year, a couple who had been married 58 years died holding hands. These stories seem to be the exception rather than the rule in our society today where divorce is almost celebrated as a new start in life. But yet, when we see a couple at a restaurant toasting their anniversary, it reaches somewhere in our hearts that news of a divorce never could. Why is that? Because at the fiber of our being, our Creator put in us a deep desire for covenant relationship. Our Maker is the first covenant maker and the only covenant keeper. And he gives us the opportunity in marriage to show the beauty and the complexity of the covenant he holds out for all who would believe in his name. Many would consider marriage to be a contract between two people. Well, when I think of the word contract, I picture a big fancy lawyer's office with law books on the wall, you know, with the smell of leather in the air. I picture elaborate desks where important documents are signed and stamped with official looking seals. I picture two parties coming together in agreement with lots and lots of fine print on the company letterhead. A contract is something I'm holding someone else liable for to keep their signed agreement. A contract can be broken or nullified if one party breaks their end of it. A contract by definition is an agreement between two or more parties, especially one that's written or enforceable by law. But when I think of the word covenant, I think of forever. I think of a binding guarantee. I think of it more as a word pledge between two parties, like at a wedding. I think of a covenant as something I've said I would do, not something that someone asked me to do or something that someone is making me do. A covenant is my commitment. It's an agreement. I'm guaranteeing a pledge or a bond. 
As you can see, a contract is temporary at best. A covenant by design is permanent. A contract is man-driven, and a covenant is God-created and God-sustained. In marriage, a covenant saying, I'm going to choose to trust you even when you make mistakes. A contract says, I'll trust you when you earn it. A covenant says, how can I love you with Christ's love? A contract says, how will you serve me and make me happy? A covenant says, I'm going to give you all of my resources. A contract says, you depleted my resources. You know what? You owe me. A covenant is based on trust between two parties. A contract is actually based on distrust. A covenant is based on unlimited responsibility. A contract is based on limited liability. This might feel like a new way of thinking because we don't use the word covenant in our daily vernacular. But up until about 200 years ago, this word was actually commonly used. In the Bible, the word covenant appears about 330 times. In fact, when you hold your Bible, you're holding the Old and the New Covenant. In God's word, there are 354 prophecies that Jesus fulfills when he ushers in this new covenant. But just because Jesus came doesn't mean that you and I are automatically brought into this new relationship. Ephesians 2 says that we're strangers to this new covenant. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. What we're getting at here is that God had this new plan in place. He has this new covenant based upon Christ's blood when you wanted nothing to do with him. We can trust that our God will never turn his back on us because he didn't make a contract with us. A contract, again, is based on mistrust. This covenant is based on trust. Let me let you in on a little secret of mine. When David and I were first married 15 years ago, I was sort of waiting, so to speak, for the other shoe to drop. It all just seemed too good to be true. David seemed too good to be true. I kept thinking, one of these days he's going to get sick of me and my mess and that'll be it. I felt that my sin, my breaking of our covenant, so to speak, would cause him to break his end as well. I was definitely not viewing our marriage in light of the cross. I was viewing it from a legalistic standpoint. Yet over time, I saw that David remained true to God's word. Sure, he sinned too because we all married a sinner. But he was consistent to show me that he would love me no matter what, that my mistakes and my anger and my pouting couldn't make him leave. And over time, I learned that I could trust him. But really, it was God that I was putting all my trust in because David truly could fail me because he's just human. He's going to make mistakes just like me. But my God, never. Not once is he going to mess up. Not once is God going to say, you're just too much, Tracy. You've sinned too many times. Never. I'll never hear him say that and neither will you. I will never see his back. I will only see his loving arms stretched out to me and hold me and accept me because that's who he is. He's a promise keeper. And that's what our spouses should see in us as well. In the Bible, God made seven covenants with Israel and mankind. One of the most memorable ones is in Genesis chapter 9, where God promises that after the flood, he will never again destroy all life on earth in that same way. And he's kept his covenant and we're reminded of his faithfulness 
when we see a rainbow. We also have the Mosaic Covenant in the Old Testament that was given in the Ten Commandments and in the rest of the Old Testament law, which is over 600 commands. This is the Old Covenant before Christ came. And in Jesus, we now have the New Covenant. So today as believers, you and I have the privilege of living in the reality of that new covenant that Jesus mediated for us. It was through the shedding of his blood and placing our faith in him as our savior that we have forgiveness of all of our sins. We're now called the children of God and we have right standing with God. It's through this new covenant that we have eternal life and that we can now live our lives as a living sacrifice in response to all that God has done for us. Listen as I read an excerpt from The Last Supper, which is found in Matthew 26, picking up in verse 26. It says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And this new covenant will never be revoked. Psalms 105 tells us that he remembers. He remembers his covenant for a thousand generations. We can see he's been as good as his word. And as we read account after account in the Bible of his faithfulness, if we stop for a moment, we can remember too. We can remember that he has been faithful, faithful to us, faithful to my family, faithful to my marriage as well. Picture with me for a moment a scene, a young Jewish girl named Esther. She finds herself quite suddenly the queen of all of Persia. She's not chosen because the king asked for her phone number and they dated for two years. And when he finally got up the nerve to ask her to marry him because they loved each other so much. No, no, she's the queen because she's pretty. When she realizes that she needs the king's favor to not only save her people, but herself, She's faced with a very serious choice. Risk going before the king uninvited or risk losing her life because the decree has been issued to kill all Jewish people. She cannot rely on the king's marriage vows to her. She knows what happened to the last queen. She cannot trust his character. There's no covenant to back her up. She has no choice but to risk death. And she does. Thankfully, the king gives her favor and extends to her his scepter. Her life is spared, and so are the lives of her people. I love to review the story of Esther because you and I were in the exact opposite position of where she was standing. You and I can come into the throne room of our king completely welcome. He says, come, sit with me, talk with me, tell me anything you want. He knows we will die without his favor, and he not only extends it to us, he says that all of our past, present, and future mistakes are forgiven. He knows he's the only one who can extend eternal life to us, and he does it freely. Being with our king gives us joy and freedom, and his perfect love casts out all the fear we may have had in approaching him. Why? Because we're in a covenant relationship with our king. We can see clearly all over scripture that it's actually God who makes the covenants with us, We're not the initiators. We don't go to him and ask him to enter into a covenant relationship. He approaches us and invites us into that kind of relationship. The heart of God's covenant with you and I can be seen in Jeremiah 30, verse 22. He says, you will be my people and I will be your God. He doesn't need relationship with us to sustain himself. 
He desires a relationship, so he pursues a sinful people to make them his own special possession, a people who repeatedly, wickedly, and shamefully disown him time and time again. We do it too. Every day with our sinful actions, we break the covenant he made with us, yet he maintains his side. So what does this have to do with your marriage? Absolutely everything. You're listening to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Vows to Keep wants to help. If you have a marriage question, please email questions at vowstokeep.com. Vows to Keep will respond to you via email and perhaps use it on the air. Now let's rejoin David and Tracy Sellers with the remainder of today's broadcast. You made a promise when you said your vows on your wedding day. You made vows to keep. A promise is a vow, and our vows are a covenant, not just between you and your spouse, but with our covenant God. The world has made marriage vows into something they're not. We've gone from a promise of a lifetime of love and commitment into this optional legal agreement. If one spouse doesn't hold up their end, the other involves a lawyer and some legal documentation. Yet when you stood at that altar with your bride, every vow you said had nothing to do with the legal system. And it had everything to do with the covenant God who witnessed and approved your union. I was having a conversation a few weeks ago with an acquaintance, and he felt like his marriage was temporary. In fact, they were only keeping their quote-unquote commitment to each other for the sake of their kids. He figured when the kids were grown, they would simply dissolve their marriage contract. Many people naturally feel some type of commitment to their kids because they feel like their kids need them. It is true, our little ones are generally helpless without parents, but God reminds us that our first covenant is with him and then our spouse. It's interesting to note that in Arizona, Louisiana, and Arkansas, they have what is referred to as the covenant marriage law. Now, these are marriages in which a couple actually agrees to have premarital counseling and they are legally not allowed to have a no-fault divorce. This sounds like a well-intentioned law. It's basically saying that in full view of a fault, that a covenant says we need to have follow-through, even in the face of a mistake. What do I mean by that? Well, marriage is a covenant to God that says, Lord, I'm going to give your best to this person. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them. I will be your hands and feet in their world, even when they break their promise. When we love our spouse the most, when it's deserved the least, that's when we're being God's hands and feet. Maybe you can picture a situation in your own life, some way your spouse has blown it, a way they've lost their temper, they failed you in some way. They are at fault, but we're still keeping our covenant with them. We're responding as the Bible asks us to do. We're pouring out forgiveness on them, freeing them from guilt and shame. That's what we are called to do biblically. That's following through on our commitments. That's keeping our covenant. A marriage covenant isn't the kind of relationship that sits on the edge of its seat waiting for the other person to break their promise so we can take the easy way out and get out of our contract with them. Instead, we make a covenant. We make a promise that says no matter what, even when they totally blow it, we're not only going to love them, we're going to love them more. I'm going to take just a moment to read Psalm 116, just a few verses out of it from the message version of the Bible. This is the psalmist's response to all God has done for him and the vows that he has made. What can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? 
I lift high the cup of salvation, a toast to God. I'll pray in the name of God. I'll complete what I promised God I'd do, and I'll do it together with his people. When they arrive at the gates of death, God welcomes those who love him. Oh God, here I am, your servant, your faithful servant. Set me free for your service. I'm ready to offer the thanksgiving sacrifice and pray in the name of God. I'll complete what I promised God I'd do, and I'll do it in the company with his people, in the place of worship, in God's house, in Jerusalem, God's city. Hallelujah. You can really hear the heart of the psalmist in here. He's saying, God, I realize what you've done for me, and now I want to give away what I've been given. God asks us to keep our promise, our vow, our covenant to our spouse because he wants us to be like him. And he's made an irreversible covenant with us. He's a covenant-keeping God. We see those covenants made right and held true in spite of the failures of the people they were made to, people including you and me. Many times in the Old Testament, the Lord is actually referred to as our husband and Israel is referred to as an unfaithful wife. God made a covenant with his people, just like a husband makes a covenant to his wife. And it says in Jeremiah 31, they broke my covenant, even though I was a husband to them. In Hosea, Israel is even referred to as a harlot, a cheating wife who continues to worship other gods. Yet even in her unfaithfulness to God, he upholds his end. He reaches out to them in forgiveness, but God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, Ah, I guess I'll continue to accept you. He actually makes a new covenant with them, one that makes atonement for their sins by sacrificing what was most precious to him, his son Jesus. We serve a great God who will always keep his promise. In fact, he can't act any other way. 2 Timothy 2.13 says that if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny who he is. What amazing character, what love What an example we have. So imagine your spouse failing you. Maybe your wife has gone out of control in her anger, or your husband has gone out of control in his affections of the world and his pursuit of the things of this world. God's covenant should be an example for all of us because in a contract situation, a person's naturally going to have a tendency to want to try and cover up their mistakes so that the other party in the contract can't cancel that agreement. In a covenant relationship, though, this fear is erased, knowing that no matter what, that covenant is going to hold. It's not based on their performance. This ignites not a desire to do our best to break the pledge, but our best to uphold it. As Christians, in service to our Master and Savior, we have the power of the Holy Spirit and His work in our hearts to help us do this. As Christians in marriage, we have the same honor. We have an advocate who prays for us, who speaks truth to us, who brings forth in us fruit that would honor and please the one with whom we have this covenant relationship. So what is the covenant that you made with your wife or your husband? Picture yourself at the altar, and it may have gone something like this. I, David, take you, Tracy, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And I pledge to you my faithfulness. I, Tracy, take you, David, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, 
for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And I pledge to you my faithfulness. And then the pastor probably said, you may kiss your bride, which is what I'm going to do right now. Perfect. Thanks, babe. In your marriage, the commitment you made, the vows that you set at the altar, they're going to be broken. Our first tendency is to point the finger and say, you've done something to me. And you know what? I am justified in walking out. But God gives us the perfect example in his relationship with us. Only in God's economy, we see that he remains faithful and actually steps forward into a new covenant when we've broken our end of the deal. In fact, time and time again. All the couples that we admire who've been married for ages, all the couples you hold in high esteem because of the way they treat each other, they've all broken their covenants as well. That's because we're sinners, according to Romans 3.23. Not one of us is able to keep our vows perfectly throughout a lifetime of marriage. But that's where God's grace sweeps in on the scene. That's where the refuse and the rubble of our sin get turned into something beautiful. And every time we let Christ redeem us from our sin, every time we don't let our broken vows become the detriment of our relationship, it's his gospel that shines ever brighter. You may be wondering now, so where do we go from here? Maybe you had a nominal relationship with God when you said your vows. Maybe you weren't a Christian at all, and you're realizing You didn't make that commitment to God. You made it to your wife and she made it to you. And now you see she didn't really fulfill her part and you haven't either. Well, today might be the day you make a new covenant. Covenants are sure-footed. They're stable. Evidence of a contract or a commitment that's lacking God is a marriage that's weak, that's unstable, one that's on shaky ground. Your heart is yearning for firm footing in your marriage. You're realizing It's time to get on your knees together. Make your weak two-stranded cord stronger by putting God in the middle of that marriage. You can do that by recognizing the covenant that God has made with you and then asking him to help you and your spouse to remain faithful to each other in your words, in your actions, and in your thoughts. Remember that marriage is a covenant to God that says, Lord, I'm going to give your best to this person. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to be your hands and feet in their world. So often we're waiting for that next failure to finally have release, to say, you know what? You've wronged me for the last time and I've had it. I'm leaving. It's during moments like this that we try to come up with ways to legally dissolve our marriage, but we don't consider the covenant we've made. Before you start searching the internet for the nearest divorce lawyer or simply judging your spouse for their failures, consider how we act toward God. Not only do we not hold up our end of the agreement, we follow wholeheartedly after false gods. When we play the part of that unfaithful wife totally turning our back on God, here's his response. It comes from Hosea chapter 2. It says, I'll make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice unfailing love and compassion. I'll be faithful to you and make you mine. He offers us a righteousness that we cannot come up with on our own. It's one that can only come from Jesus. Our God is a just God. That means sin must be dealt with. But he shows me his justice daily by Jesus' payment for my sins on the cross. We've been unfaithful, yet he shows us his unfailing love and compassion not based on our performance. 
This is not him saying, well, you've been so awesome. You've been so giving to me. So I'm going to keep my covenant with you. No, his covenant is in light of our failures and our sin. We hope that this discussion has shown you that a covenant is something that should motivate you. You might be thinking right now about some of the brokenness that your spouse has brought into their commitment. But will you follow the example of God and actually lean more into that relationship? We're living in a time where a watching world would declare a wounded marriage dead. The world would say it's without hope. By following the Bible's direction, we can have a hurting marriage and watch it become a testimony to our covenant God. You've been listening to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Vows to Keep offers Christ-centered marriage resources for couples wishing to prepare, enrich, and renew their marriages. These resources include weekend retreats, conferences, date nights, and radio broadcasts across Ohio. Your financial gift will allow Vows to Keep to continue to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages. Please prayerfully consider making a donation to help serve future couples. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation or to find out more about Vows to Keep, visit our website at VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.